we can do as leaders is we say, oh, just like work it out with them. Go do this, go do that. But it's like, what do I do? You know, like I don't have experience. Tell me what it looks like. How do you create an unshakable business? I crossed $100 million in net worth by the age of 28. Now I'm growing acquisition.com into a billion dollar portfolio. In this podcast, I share the lessons I've learned in scaling big businesses and helping our portfolio companies do the same. Buckle up and let's build. What's up, guys? Um, sorry, it's like a minute late. Just trying to learn how to use this stream yard. Not technical whatsoever. Um, cool. So what we're going to do today is I did a LinkedIn audio only. Uh, I think it was like last week. Um, and it was really cool because uh, I think that we got to the meat of a lot of really great questions that people had to ask. And so it's something I want to do more regularly. And as you guys can see, because you're probably on different platforms, uh, we're trying to stream across all platforms. Um, and so what we want to do is what we've done is we asked for your comments in the post that I made the other day. And what we've done is we basically pulled in about 10 people who I'm going to answer their questions live. And then I'm going to take comments or questions from the comments with the rest of the time. So Jimmy is helping me uh, here in StreamYard. That's the name of it, StreamYard. Uh, and then I've got Caleb and Trevor. Uh, Jimmy, do you want to go ahead and bring up the first guest? Hi. Hi. Is it Shaheen? Yes, it is. How's it going? Very well. Super happy to meet you. Finally, I've been like following all your 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 media, so it's like really, really. I feel very honored to be on the stream today. Thank you. Oh, of course. I'm glad that you're here. Um, love it. And you're the CEO of is it Zisla? Yes. This one, yeah, I got that first right first. Yeah. Um, so cool. So what what did you want to talk about today? So I wanted to talk about something that I feel as um, you know, we talk a lot about supporting our team with like content and you know, everything that's material, but I I'm struggling right now with um, you know, as your team grows and you're kind of less uh, like I'm less selling right now and I'm more helping my team. And right now I'm having a hard time helping them deal with the stress emotionally. You know, we're in a business that goes from zero to a hundred constantly and they have stress that's coming from our developers and then stress that's coming from the clients. And I don't know how to support them properly, like emotionally as, you know, a CEO and like mentor. Yeah. How do you manage the stress yourself? Uh, I, you know, I do a lot of, I like I walk a lot, yoga, meditation, uh, I read. Um, but I feel like, you know, I've been in therapy for like pretty much like all my adult life. So I'm really equipped in those like tools already, you know, like breathing, uh, you know, like I said, meditation, yoga. But I don't feel like everyone, it's not everyone's kind of forte, those things, you know, so I'm trying to find ways of suggesting something to cater to all, you know, their specific needs, because it's not everyone that's like me, right? Yeah. And I think that's fair, because it's like, you know, what works for you, people have different preferences, so they have to choose what's going to work for themselves. I guess the question I'd be asking is, What's the problem that's occurring because of the stress that they're having right now? Is there a symptom that's occurring frequently in the business that you're experiencing? Uh, well, it's, you know, it's it's sometimes it's a lot of frustration. You know, they're like, I feel like they're frustrated. They feel like they're stuck. They like they're kind of stuck in between the clients, the developers and kind of like not 
you know, it's it's that awful feeling of like being helpless and then like waiting for something and they like they're frustrated. And I feel like I don't want the frustration to build up to a point that, you know, they're they're bitter, they crack or it has like negative. Yeah. Yeah. What do you do in response to them? So like they come to you, they say, I'm frustrated, I'm stressed. What do you say or do? Do you meet with them? Do you talk to them? And if you do, what does that look like? Um, so we have one-on-ones that like every week. So, you know, the one-on-ones, that's when the frustration comes out usually. And then, you know, uh, me as like, you know, a CEO, I either uh, give them the tool to assess that frustration or sometimes, you know, I'll go directly with the developer, the developer or I'll try to, to step in to lessen the frustration. Um, you know, like sometimes I refer them to books. Uh, that helped me personally. Um, But I feel like sometimes it's like, because we go from zero to 100 constantly, it's like we go from like being okay to being super frustrated. And like sometimes I feel like I should be able to kind of level it, like level it for them or, you know, help them like ride smoothly. Like me, I'm, I'm good with it. I've been doing this for 10 years. Yeah. No, I I hear what you're saying, which is like, you don't want them to be discontent. You want to make sure that they like enjoy where they're working um, and all those things, which I think is good intention. I'll tell you a few things and you tell me if it resonates. I think first off is something that I learned in my journey, managing a lot of people in, you know, high growth, highly stressful environments is the value of not stealing a growth opportunity from them. So many times I protected people in my company because I felt like protecting them and interfering with the situation and getting in there and talking to the person for them, de-escalating a situation for them was the right thing to do. But what I realized is that that was basically signaling to them that I felt they were incapable of doing it themselves. And what I realized was that what I actually needed to do was be the person that could give them the tools to then interfere those situations themselves. So if the developers are difficult to communicate with, rather than me interfering and going and talking directly to the developers, I would say, you know what? I understand you're having a difficult time with the developers. Let's get on a call and let's script out what you can say the next time the situation occurs. And then what I would do is I would role play it with them. I'm not kidding. So every time that somebody has had like a disagreement with somebody on the team, oftentimes I'll think on it. And then a lot of times the conclusion is like, they need to be the one to say this thing and I will help them script it out and then practice how they're going to present it to that person. Because I think scripting it is like, that's good, but it's not enough. Because like when you're in the situation, their emotions are high. And like, as your emotions are high, your IQ goes down. And so people just like go to whatever the default is. If you've practiced what you're going to say enough, then you can practice it in the situation. I think that that is one of the most useful things I've done. I'll say that the second piece um, to helping manage frustration is not making it about the situation, right? So there's the developers and then there's your employee. And I think that you have to divorce the two. They cannot control what the developers are going to do, nor can you. But what you can do is use that as an opportunity to talk about, okay, so when you're in a frustrating situation where somebody upsets you, how do you react? And that's where you get to work with them on that. It's not about the developers. It's about how that, what their response is in a situation where something happens that they don't like. And I think that the more that you can get them to focus on their response in a frustrating situation, like their level of frustration tolerance, for example, that is going to help them like objectively, one, objectively look at the situation. But two, I think that it's much more empowering 
because what they're feeling right now is like, well, we need to control the developers and she can come here and con control them. But that doesn't add value to the employee. That doesn't help them in life. It doesn't drive them forward. So I think if you can do those two things, which is like help separate their perspective or basically divorce the two in their minds so that they see this is about your reaction to the situation, not to the developers. Like they don't have to, this doesn't have to do with them, right? And then the second is work with them on scripting because I think that the worst thing that we can do as leaders is we say, oh, just like work it out with them. Go do this, go do that. But it's like, what do I do? You know, like I don't have experience. Tell me what it looks like. And I think the second best thing to like watching you do it, right, is that you helped script it and role play it with them. Does that resonate at all? No, it makes so much sense. It's like I never, you know, like I, I don't know if it's like the CEO mindset, but like I'm always like used to like stepping in and jumping in. And yeah. I it's I feel like that that will give them a lot more experience than just watching me do it or just me mothering them and just doing something that they could be doing and growing from. It, it makes like a lot of sense. Yeah. And I think it's it's super typical, right? Because it's like, we feel like, well, they don't have control of this other person. So, and I may, so I should intercept. But the thing is, is that what that does is that you train them that they only stop the situation when you are present. So it will continue to happen behind your back because they won't learn how to actually behave differently. They'll just learn, oh, when she's here, we can't behave that way. But when she's gone, we'll behave that way again. But if you cannot interfere and then give them the tools to to learn to manage their own emotional regulation in those situations, and then give them the tools of like how to actually respond in those situations, I think that they will come out way better on the other side. And I also think that the your reaction, when they come to you and they say, I'm so frustrated with these developers, the more that you make it like it's an emergency, the more they believe it is, it's bad. So if you're like, okay, let's, let's live, give it a day or two, and then let's tackle this on Monday. They're like, oh, like, yeah interesting that you would do that. And some people might even at first be like very shocked, like, why would you not treat this as an emergency? Right. But the more that you can treat it like this is okay. And because it is, it is okay. And it is normal as part of work, then they will take that and respond. And it'll probably de-escalate their emotional response once they start seeing that you don't just stop, drop and roll and interfere. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, it makes so much sense. Like to the point that I'm like, why did I not think about that before? <laughs> I guess you're so stuck. You're so stuck in the moment. And like you, you have so many roles that it's like, you know, like usually the emotional part is kind of like the one that's left behind all the time. So yeah, I'm going to definitely try this with the team. It's going to help a lot. I'm pretty sure it will do tons of. I love it. Will you DM me and let me know how it goes next time? Yes, we'll do for sure. I'll try that. I have my meetings tomorrow. So we'll see. Ya. We'll see how that goes. Thank you so much. Absolutely. I love it. Good to hear from you. And uh, Jimmy, we can uh, go to the next. Hi, Melanie. Hello, hello, hello. First and foremost, thank you so much for having me, Layla. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate you being here and taking the time at like random, random time on a Thursday. My pleasure, my honor. So uh, let's jump right into it. So Melanie Patterson, CEO and founder of Integrity Global Logistics, which is a 3PL transportation and logistics, and then Team Integrity Knowledge Center, which is a premium consulting company where we guide small to medium firms into government contracting. So we are a proud certified minority woman-owned transportation company. 
Um, and so I can identify with um, you and your alpha characteristics working in a male-dominated industry. My question for you is, although I have a ton of questions, my main question for you, um, so we're in the process of scaling and growing the company. Marketing is a huge component. Right now, we're in a space where we kind of have uh, free marketing via social media platforms. My question is, how do you have time to create the content, guide the captions, the content, and the brand, as well as truly work as a CEO of your company? I think it's different for everybody based on the demands of the company, the team that you have, and what your goals are in making content. You know, when I set out to make content, it wasn't like, I'm going to make content at the expense of the company. It was, I know in the beginning, it may be harder to make content because we don't have a full team yet. But the goal was always, can we move more from, you know, like manufactured straight to camera content to like eventually one day, I'd love it to be like 100% captured, right? Um, and can we do it in ways like like even doing this right here? Yeah, this, sure. Honestly, I just feel like it's way more valuable because like I love these conversations and like I have a hard time. I feel like I'm like very serious when I'm like staring at a camera and I'm like, Four people are watching me in a room and I'm like, Ugh, you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. It's just like, it feels not natural. So I think it's been a journey and it's also not been perfect at all. So like in the beginning, we had just sold our companies and we had like three people on the team. Like, fuck, I don't have that much to do. Right. Which I kind of did. But at the same time, I didn't because I wasn't managing a whole team of people or functional heads. And so I had a lot more time to make like direct to camera content. And actually what happened was like just a few months ago, I had a moment where I was just like losing it. I was like, I don't have time to prep for these content sessions anymore. Like I don't have time to make this anymore. I don't have time. And what I'm super thankful for was I communicated that to the team and they were like, then we, we need to change the strategy. Like it's, this needs to be sustainable for you. And if it's not sustainable for you and you can't like completely focus on what you need to do in the company, then it's not going to work for long term. We, it, it's just not going to work. And so is it perfect? No, and, but that's not my goal. My goal is not to be perfect with making content. My goal is to do it in a way that I find enjoyable and then I can keep doing. You know what I mean? Like if I only made direct to camera, which I think like, I think Alex is phenomenal at making that. Like I don't feel phenomenal at making it. And I also feel like, I just feel like I'm the worst version of myself when I make it. Like I feel like uber serious. I feel like dry. I feel like my humor doesn't come out. Like I just feel like, mm. uh, and so I recently was like, I want to switch to more like live engaging with people, like capturing, like I just did the, the video we dropped today was like a day in the life on YouTube. Yeah. Like, that's what I'm trying to do because I feel like I can sustain that. But the difference is like, here's the few choices I made because I knew that that was the strategy I was going to need. One is that we had all vendors in the beginning and I was looking at that and I was like, you can't do that if you really want them to be able to accommodate you. Like, it's just tough because the vendor has their own agenda and they have like, this is the package we have for clients. And so it was like, I was still having to do a lot of QA. There was a lot that was going out that was like, more optimized for views and not brand that I was like, cool, I like views, but I like fucking hate this video and I seem like a complete bitch. Like, I don't want that going out on public. Like, you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Yeah. Like, I, and so it, I think that that's kind of been the strategy is like, first we had vendors and then we hired Caleb and I was like, okay, we got to take this all in house, right? And he's like, yes. So that's been the, the goal. We've just been taking it all in house over time. And because of that, the team, we interact and they know, like, okay, we need to shift because like Layla's really busy right now. So we need to shift to something else. Or like we need to shift for Alex because he's like heads down writing the book right now. And they're able to accommodate us because they understand that we want content to be something that we can do forever, not something that we're just doing for like a year. 
and you want to enjoy it, right? You really want to enjoy it. You want it to come off as organic as possible. So you said something uh, really keen. So you pivot, right? You say, look, this is not working for us. Let's develop a new strategy and let's pivot. That's what we do as in entrepreneurship. So I can completely identify as far as using vendors and having to take it in-house. So that's where I'm at right now, building out an internal marketing team. Now with that, you know how important it is to document all of your processes and develop a system. Are you doing that? Are you hands-on with that task? Or are you saying, hey, look, delegate that? Melanie, the first thing that we did was I was like, I need to hire somebody to be uh, over all of this. And that's when we brought in Caleb. Hey. I have not touched literally any of it. I don't know what the systems look like. People literally think I'm lying when I say they, they're like, what do you use to edit? I have no idea how we edit videos, what we edit videos. Half the time, like they take my content and really do all of it. Like I literally just am on camera. That's it. So no approvals. Um, I will approve content from new people on the team. If they are, so I think there's a difference. If it's things that I'm saying, like videos, I don't approve anything like that. If, if you catch me on video like that, I would rather, I, I don't like the whole, like I have to approve and then it goes out. I think that they learn faster if it goes out and then they see that maybe I don't like it or that the audience doesn't like it. Like I, I would rather let them have that to own themselves because I look at it like if I want to create a big brand, it's not just Layla creating it, it's like a whole team. And so I don't want to steal that opportunity from them. I don't like to approve too much ahead of time. The only times I will is if it's like, if it would be long form written word, I will write them. Like, I don't necessarily like, unless they find it from like, they'll find stuff that I wrote years ago or find stuff that I've written in other contexts and repurposed on platforms, but organic long form written content will come from me. But that's it. And that's like really infrequent. Wow. So that's actually you behind the captions in, in some of those captions. With that, is it really you commenting and engaging um, in the DMs and things of that nature? Yeah. So the one thing that we won't do is like, nobody else is going to pretend to be me. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. I don't think that that's like, good for the brand. I told everyone out. Yeah, I had a Twitter ghostwriter for a while. I think he did a great job, but I just didn't feel like it was me. So it's like, can anyone else ever be you? Like, I don't think so. Um, so I stopped doing that and switched it to just me. So it's always me commenting. It's always me in the DMs. Like, I like, but I like that stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I genuinely, if I can answer someone's question, and I have time, then I will. I do it between meetings. I do it when I'm in the bathroom. That was the last question. That was the last question that I had. So I'm a girl right now with the way shit is going. I'm off working off of a calendar. Um, yeah. And so are you blocking out some time to say, hey, look, let's go ahead and respond to some of these DMs, some of these comments before we hop into the this next meeting when we're in the Uber or when we're driving into town or whatever the case may be? Yeah, I if I have time, it's definitely like the natural instinct of what to do. So I will do it between sets at the gym, like, I'm not saying this is like, a, 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 this is not ideal. <laughs> like between sets at the gym, I'll do it when I'm like between meetings, I'll do it, okay. you know, when I'm having a, a when you have time, when you have time. I don't like set a time for it because I think some days I have no time and some days I have an hour. Okay. And then how important is AI right now within your marketing team? Do you know? No, I have no oh, idea. So Thank you. Love the transparency. Love the transparency. Love it. Love it. Love it. Awesome. 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 Any advice um, just in regard to marketing overall, just to close out? Um, I think that the goal of marketing is to allow the external world to see what exists internally in the business. And so the more that you good at, the more alignment you have, the better company you will be. Awesome. Love it. Love it. Love it. All right, Layla, till the next time. Take care. Thank you.
What's up, guys? Before we get started, I just want to ask you one thing. Have you gotten anything from this podcast that has helped you in your business or life? If so, I would ask you to pay it forward to somebody else who you think could benefit from it. Message, tag, screenshot, share on stories, whatever you feel most comfortable with. I just want to be able to help others as much as I can, and I can't do that without your help. Thank you for your time, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Hey, Layla. Uh, appreciate you and your team having me on here. Absolutely. Um, How do you say your name? I don't say it wrong. Sai? Yeah, Sai. Okay, perfect. Yeah, and you also responded to my DM the other day, so thanks for that too. Yeah. Um, so the question I had was uh, me and a couple partners are in the process of making a web app that's for e-learning. And the question I had was what we have in mind for the launch of it is to build an audience before launch to like get them engaged uh and then also hit heavy on marketing through social media after the launch because the target demographic is like 18 to like 40 um that we're planning for it so my question was like how would you go about like retaining that would it be through like content creation or uh promotions you mean gaining the audience yeah so do you have any audience right now no, we, we didn't start yet. Interesting. I mean, and so explain the value that this is going to bring to the customers. Like, what is the primary problem it solves? Uh, it's so, it's like course creation, and it's also like where people can buy those same courses. So it's similar to like Udemy, except it has more features. Like, we're also going to integrate like tutoring into it. So it's like an all-in-one for like students or anyone just uh, looking to gain some skills that'll help them in the business world. Okay, that makes sense. Have you done a beta test yet? Like, have you gone through the different phases of like, you know, two to three beta groups? Uh, no, because we're still in the process of coding it. Like, it's really uh, a lot of code to write. So we're still in the process of that. That's fair. I feel like I would be doing you a disservice to tell you that you should build an audience right now and mm-hmm. start marketing it before you've done that. So like if I were you, because here's how I market everything that like when we start a different business, the way that we're able to market it is from the results from the beta tests that we've run by giving it away for free. Okay. So like when we first built Allen, our software company, we brought in, we basically had three phases to the beta, which was like, okay, when we have X amount of features, we bring in this many people and we have like a contract, we do a call with them. We explain like it's a piece of shit right now, whatever, like it's in test mode, it's all these things. Uh, but here's what we would like you to do. Will you comply, et cetera? Um, and then we run the beta with them for a period of time, say a month, bring in phase two, a few more people, a few different kinds of people, a few different kinds of businesses, phase two beta, and then phase, and it increases in size and in what features they have access to on each one because we've been developing in the background. And then what we do is we take the testimonials from those people using it and we use those to market the product. Now, the thing is, is that if you don't get testimonials from them, product's probably not ready to market because here's the thing is like it is freaking like you're in a competitive industry and so i would not i would be really cognizant of using promotion as a crutch for the product because at the end of the day what's the goal of the business is it to sell it or to keep it or cash flow well i have in mind to keep it but i don't know what my business partners have in mind so well first piece of advice is i would make sure you guys are all on the same page because i okay. think uh how you build it and what your the end goal is is going to dictate literally all of these decisions. I see. Okay. Yeah. Because in terms of like, 
if you want to just promote the shit out of this thing and just get people on it and like, you know, they're they're satisfied. Um, but there's a lot of competition. So it's like, you know, it's, it's a tough market. Then it's like, okay, well, what's the churn? And I can tell you that I have friends that have, you know, $500 million SaaS businesses that can barely get this thing to fucking sell because their churn is 20%, you know, monthly, which is like a trope, you know, it's just like frightening to an investor. So it's like your end goal can dictate what you do now and what the strategy for the business is. If it is, you know, cash flow and you want to keep it for the long haul, then like I do suggest, you know, Matt, I mean, honestly, I would suggest so any approach is just first starting with the betas, expanding with the betas, allowing those to give you the information to make the product when it needs to be upon launch. And then asking those people basically in exchange for doing the beta and me giving it to you for free, can I use your testimonial to market the product? Okay. And then I would use those. I mean, the best case scenario is that you get influencers who have large audiences to be in the beta groups. They exchange their testimonials so that you can use that. But it all relies on it has to be dialed because it's just going to obviously it'll backfire if not. So I would feel I would make sure that you're in a place where you feel confident in the delivery of the product before you go into doing that. At least like, you know, MVP that you're that has like at least a decent UX experience. You know what I mean? To beta one. Like yeah. you can't have no UX for beta one. You need some. Um, and then move across the phases. And I would also ask them run a price sensitivity test to beta group three. So go look up. Um, Gosh, Patrick Campbell. Uh, gosh, Patrick, don't kill me. What's what's the name of the company that you fucking have? Uh, pricing something. Um, but they basically have all the information on how you can price your SaaS product for going to market. I would follow that. And I, I know that it's going to talk about like beta groups and running surveys to those beta groups of what the price could be. And then that can also dictate when you go to market. Okay. Does that make I, sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. And... um. When we do these beta tests, like, are do you suggest like just like putting it out on Instagram or something because we don't have any like followers or anything? No, I would individually. I mean, put it on Instagram, sure. Like, I, I don't think it's not worth doing, but I think I would individually like send a custom, like very personalized message or even a gift to the people that would be your ideal beta testers. Okay, you know, like who are people who are influencers, but like scrappy enough that they would be interested in trying something new. Yeah, yeah. You know, like I have taken risks on people who have new stuff because like we like that and it's interesting. Mm -hmm. There's some people who maybe they wouldn't because they don't care or whatever. I would also add that some of these people, it may be their team that will be running the beta, not them. Okay. Yeah, so uh, like I said, there's like two parts to it. So one person can like also create courses and then they could also like buy courses from uh, the people who created it. So I made like a list of like 500 ish um, influencers that like have expertise in certain field uh, fields, like some are in coding, some are in like, um, you know, financial markets, whatever it is. And so what you're suggesting is like I hit up each one of those people individually and really personalize the message and ask them to try it out. And that would be like the beta test. Try it out. It's free for them. Mm hmm try and blow their minds like in as many ways possible so you can get other stuff that you can stack on top of that like just make it a good experience for them and then in exchange for them trying out and doing the beta or completing the beta process they you get the testimonial for free okay got it thanks so much that helps out a lot i didn't think about it like that um, yeah absolutely yeah thank good you luck, dude yeah thank you have a good one you too hi nate how you doing layla thanks for the opportunity Good.
absolutely um so i'm a style writer a content creator and like an inspirational speaker and i'm really interested i'm a big believer on it's not what we do but it's who we are and so the question i wanted to ask you for a lot of my audience and, and for myself as well like talk to me about like the dark times of entrepreneurship right like i've heard alex's part of you know when like all the money left the account like what is the internal dialogue that's going through your mind and how are you getting through those times of like this is so uncertain like what the fuck are we gonna do like you know what i mean like like that's i'm really interested in in that part of of the mindset and everything behind the entrepreneurship i mean i think that i i would bet everybody watching this that's an entrepreneur is at the moments where you're like am I a complete fucking idiot? Like people think I'm this, like I'm totally a, a sham. Like I'm really not as smart as I think I am. Like, um, you know, I don't think I can do this. Maybe I'm like completely in over my head. Like I think everybody has those thoughts, you know? Like, I mean, fuck, I don't, I still have them. Like, it's not like I go away. I think here's the thing is like, I, I think we all have those like really messed up thoughts about how it's like, it's always the same shit, right? It's just like same yeah. thing, different costume. You don't know. You're a failure. Yeah. Yeah. Here's the thing. There's there's two things to that that I would say, which is like one, show me a loser who is concerned with doing well. Like (laughs) somebody who's like a complete, like not going to be successful, like doesn't care about other people, isn't trying and putting a lot of effort, doesn't care. They don't think that way. This is the what I call like the downside of the upside. Like when you care a lot about something. You also get overly concerned with it. And then you have thoughts like that. Worst case scenario, I'm not good enough, all these things. So I look at it as a gift because if you didn't have those thoughts, you also probably wouldn't care enough to actually be successful. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, was there like a like a mantra for you or something or like a quote or something that you were like grasping onto during the time? And like I said, you know, I've heard the story from Alex, but I've never heard it from your angle. Like this is like we're going all in this is this is it there's no plan b and everything's fucked like it it just everything just slipped away from us like we fumbled the bag basically right what is the dialogue within that to where you're like no we're not going back right i don't rely on the dialogue because dude the dialogue was not good the dialogue was like you suck the dialogue was like this isn't gonna work i'm fucking 23 trying to run like a eight figure whatever business I've never managed people. I have no experience. My brain had no evidence that I would ever be successful doing that, nor did his. And so what I did was I I committed to the process. I was like, if I stick with the plan and I follow the process and I take the actions that somebody who was successful and didn't have these thoughts would take, then maybe I'd have a shot. Mm-hmm. And that is literally what I've always relied on. I tell people all the time, you don't need to think a certain way you don't need to feel a certain way about yourself to be successful. Just like people who diet and they're like, I don't believe I can lose weight. If you eat in a, in a calorie deficit, no matter what thoughts come up into your head, you will lose weight. Yeah. So if you take the actions that somebody that wasn't having those thoughts would have. So the, the mantra that I have had for that, Nate, is prove yourself wrong. I have those thoughts that come into my head. I just think to myself, prove yourself wrong. Go take the action despite the fact that you don't believe that you can do it. I think so you were, I mean, like, people are positive thinking. Listen, I also have plenty of negative thinking. It doesn't fucking happen. So it's like, I look at it like my thoughts only affect a certain amount. Like my behavior is actually what dictates most of the results of my life. 
not my fault. Because oftentimes I shoot myself. You kind of work from the end, right? Like you're working for like, if I was in the frame of the person that I want to be, this is what I would do. Yeah. I mean, think of, say it's Alex that you're you're thinking of. What actions would Alex take in this situation? You can feel differently than Alex. You can think differently from Alex. But if you take the same actions, you can get a similar result. Mm -hmm. That is all that matters at the end of the day. And the thing is, the thoughts and the feelings will follow the behavior. This is like where we mess up things. We correlate like a thought and a feeling. We feel it usually after the behavior. So once you achieve the thing, then you will be like, oh, I think I can do this. <laughs> I think I could do that again. You know, the first time like I spoke on stage, I literally kept thinking I was going to have a panic attack when I stepped on stage, like mouth dry, like sweating profusely, whatever. And I was like, I'm totally having a panic attack when I got on stage. I went on stage and I was totally fine. And so after that, I was like, oh, I'm totally fine. I can, I can speak on stage. But like I had to do the thing to earn the evidence to prove to myself that I can do the thing. Uh, yeah, so you were saying that the actions that you're taking is giving you the physical proof that you're able to do it. And you keep understanding that if you keep working, you're going to keep stacking that evidence. You're going to understand that, like, I'm capable of more, I'm capable of more, I'm capable of more, I'm capable of more. And then you get to the point where I found out, like, you start stacking so much evidence of things that you never thought were possible. You're like, what the fuck can I do, really? I mean... Yes. Right. And that's where confidence comes from is you've done enough things that you didn't believe you could do and you've done them anyways, that then you feel confident when a new task comes. I think I can do this because I have so much evidence now to prove why I can rather than why I can't. It's just yeah. hard to get gold. You know, yeah. it's hard. It's completely possible. So there was there ever a time like within that initial part where you're like, I can't push this train to get the momentum going like like. Or was it just automatically like, if I do the actions, was there any delay? Like, did you kick or kick around? Like, or was it just right away? I think that there's delay in the beginning. Like I talk about how it took me a while to get started. Like I was definitely like a want, we were like constantly consuming, over consuming content, which a lot of people do. Um, and then I gotta, I, know more. I gotta know more, I gotta know more, I gotta know more. Yeah, like, the truth is, is like, I mean, I believe it. most things you can learn and you learn best by doing. And I people always are like, what book are you reading? I'm like, sometimes I'm not reading a fucking book at all. And sometimes I don't want to read a book because I learn way more just throwing shit at the wall and not being afraid to fail and then trying again, yeah. you know? And so I think like for me, like, yeah, there were time, there's time in the beginning where it was tough, but then I realized very quickly I was wasting a lot of time that I could have just been taking action and learning. And yeah. so now I learned that I just need to have a bias more towards action. And I think that in the beginning, that's what a lot of people need. They have a bias towards thinking and you just need to sway it over to our bias towards action and get so busy trying things that you don't have time to doubt yourself. Yeah. Okay. And in the beginning, like you said, when you were taking those actions, you were collecting that evidence, right? What was going through your mind when you were collecting the evidence that it wasn't working? All right. Because I think that happens with a lot of people, right? You say, I'm gonna, okay, I'm going to start doing that's fine, Layla. But what happens when all the evidence I'm collecting says I'm a fuck up and I'm a failure and what I'm doing is not working? I mean, maybe what you're doing right now isn't working right now, but maybe it'll work in six months. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of the times what it is is lack of patience. Yeah. It's that we want things to happen on our timeline. I do too, Nate. I'm like, why is acquisition not a column, not 10 billion yet? Like we have all of the resources. Like, why are we not there yet? Like we should be like with what everyone, like it just makes no sense, right? It's like, I'm very impatient about that, but I recognize that things will not happen on my timeline. And I think you have to get yourself grace and I think that what most people 
do in the beginning is they have a very skewed understanding of how long things take. Yeah. Sometimes it might be that you're one skill away from unlocking the success that you need. You might just need one more skill. And so the biggest thing is not giving up. Like I don't know many people who once they have confirmed with somebody who maybe is a few steps ahead that their strategy is sound, then they start working on it. I don't know many people that when they have been confirmed that they have a sound strategy, don't actually achieve it if they just continue to try. Because business is a lot harder than people think. Getting things started is way harder than you think. Yeah. Continuing to grow business is way harder than you think. And a lot of people put out the perception that it's a lot easier and more sexy than it is. I mean, we have a yeah. portfolio of companies and I see hundreds of companies a week, their financials, their market, their revenue, their trend. Most companies don't go like this. It's like, yeah. Shit the bed, grow. Shit the bed, grow. Like it's it's in steps, and I think most of life is that way. Yeah, so I think I really want for you guys highlight that. It's really it's really powerful. How you guys are very like in tune with your audience and understanding. Like people are, most people are suffering in their own journey, and they don't think that there's that light at the end of the tunnel. I think it's really cool how you guys are constantly highlighting how long things take, right, or how how much you had to go through to get to where you're at. I think that's really cool. Everything's gonna take longer and be harder than you think it is so remind yourself of that. <laughs> thank you i appreciate your time appreciate you nate hi layla hi it's selma selma that's it very pretty thank you i'm so excited to meet you oh my gosh <laughs> nice to meet you too so you're the founder of actor academy that's pretty cool yeah i mean it sounds exactly like the name it's an academy for actors i myself am an actress been acting since i was really little and I decided to start my own acting school. Really? And yeah, it's something a little different than most people do because it's a very uncommoditized industry. Yeah. Um, and Hollywood is very tight-lipped and hard to break into. And that's something that I really wanted to change. Mm. But in doing that, um, I faced a lot of, I guess, pushback from the industry. Yeah. So my question for you is, well, I mean, maybe I should give some background first. I read $100 million offers and it really changed the way I was looking at my business. So I decided to offer a guarantee. In offering a guarantee, it really it shook the industry, I guess, where people started saying that that scam-like behavior, it's a red flag for a coach to be able to guarantee results or guarantee you a role, even though, of course, I have it in writing that I'll give a refund if I can't do what I do. Um, and it's impacted my business a lot. And so I've gotten a defamation lawyer. I'm trying to do what I can, but I guess I'm wondering, like, is this something that you fight? Is this something that you stand up for yourself for? Is this something you just ignore and try to elevate your business until it becomes white noise? Or how would how would you handle this? Let me ask you a few questions, which is, do you believe that there's any truth to that? No, not at all. Oh, my God, because all my customers are happy. They love me. Like, they're so happy with what I do. Understood. Okay. That was the first question I wanted to get out. <laughs> we don't know each other. So I'm trying to get to That's me. true. Are you a scam? <laughs> like, is there any truth to that? No, uh, I didn't think so, but I wanted to know. So the biggest thing that I will say is that, you know, there's people that say stuff about us. You know, when we ran gym launch, we would have smear campaigns. We would have people literally running ads about us and how we're a scam and we're this or that and all these things. Oh Everyone says you're a scam until you get to the top. Like in many cases, like until you have gained trust with an audience, gained trust with your customers enough, like a broad enough customer base, people will assume if you are showing like outsized results and maybe like you are something that people don't understand, they will underestimate you, right? Or they will say, you're invalid, you're a fraud, you're these things. They, whatever word you want to use, you're not real, you're not legit, right? 
And I think that the best approach that you can take is completely ignoring it. And I swear to God, every single person tells me, they're like, Layla, you don't understand. They've got this, they've got that, they've got all these things. If you believe that you are in the right and that you are not doing anything wrong and you're like, I'm not, then what good does it do to address the negative attention? That's what I would outweigh is like, what's the upside to me addressing this attention and what's the downside? Okay, so let's play out. What are the benefits of me addressing what people say? Well, the benefits could be that strangers that don't know who I am and may never buy from me may now see that people were calling me a scam and I am now addressing that I am not a scam. And <laughs> I also have no proof of that, but I'm going to tell people that I'm not a scam. You Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> the downside is that I draw attention to the name scam. I now associate myself with the word scam. And so when people see me, they remember that I told them that I'm not a scam. But mm -hmm. even though you say I am not, they, all they hear is you scam. Yeah. 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 So what's the alternative, right? Because that's like, there's no direction there. It's just like, fuck, okay, ignore it. Like I call it an extinction curve. So when somebody comes to you and they're constantly pestering you, like maybe they're coming to you and they're like messaging you, you're a scam, you're a scam, you're a scam. Everybody has an extinction curve, which means they will bug you to a point where it will slowly die down. So it might be like they're saying it three times a week, might go to two times a week, might go to one time a week, might go to zero. Some people have long extinction curves. Somebody might be after you for six months saying that you're a scam, but it will eventually die if you do not feed it, just like a fire. Mm -hmm. Now, what do you do instead is in order to outweigh that, in my opinion, you get more loud about what you are. Talking about what you're not doesn't help your brand, but talking about what you are will help grow your brand. And I yeah. don't just talking to you, like how I don't feel like you're the kind of person that you would want to speak negatively of others. Because I think brands built by talking against and talking negatively of others, sure, they can get big brands. But what kind of brand do you want in this industry? Mm -hmm. you, want, you want to build trust with people, then speak about who you are rather than what you're not. I think that that's the route to go. I would double down on what your message mm -hmm. is to your audience. I would get louder. So not only are you ignoring these people, but you're also getting louder about what you are. And then you just mm -hmm. got to do it for years until they just eventually like fuck off. Like they want your attention. That's it. Fair enough. Or they want content themselves. Yeah. Um, which is what it's starting to seem like. Yeah. Dude, like, can you imagine that you are, if you are somebody who you have so little going on in your own life, you're so, their business must not be doing well because they're paying attention to your I don't think either. My boyfriend told me to take it as a compliment. And I'm like, it's easy for you to say that, but it's hard to take it. And the next level is like, like, geez, what happened to these people that they have such terrible lives that they have to talk badly about somebody else's life? Yeah, fair enough. I, I love that. Um, in addition to that, since it has affected my business and I mean, unfortunately, a couple of my employees are like, hey, we don't really like what's going on here. Why are people talking about you this way? How would you address that internally when like they're almost, I mean, I've told them to look at, you know, I've told them to look at the people they're working with, the clients, the proof is in the pudding that like people love us, our, you know, our return rate or people wanting to leave or turnover rate is super low. People really retain with us, um, but they're still so skeptical and dubious. Are those people that you let go of? Are those people that you try to change their mindset? I think that, again, you get louder with your message, but you do it inside. So like whatever you do internally and like externally, you've got to get loud about your message. You've got to do the same internally. 
I've done that. I mean, in gym launch, there was a time where I was like, man, there's a lot of people here. I don't feel like genuinely want the best for the business. Right. And I made this entire presentation for the team. And I said, this is who we are. This is what we are. This is how we operate as a team. If you don't jive with that, I am totally cool with that. It means nothing to me if you don't jive with this. But what it does mean is that you should consider if you should be working here. And I had two people leave. They quit right after that call. And I said, I love you guys. I respect that you actually opted out based on what I said. Right. Okay. Some you more know, just like a... This. As yeah. long as you are, you are presenting an accurate depiction to you, the people in your business of who you are and what you stand for, you're not for everybody. And that is totally okay. But you've got to be comfortable enough getting loud about who you are that it repels the people who aren't about that. Yeah. Yeah. Filter it out. Okay. Very cool. Um, well, thank you for your time. And thanks for answering my question. Absolutely. Let me know how it goes. I'm curious. Me too. <laughs> bye. Okay. Bye. Hey, everybody. I would like to just take a quick break to say, if you would like to see a condensed version of what I'm talking about in this podcast, just go ahead and follow me on LinkedIn. Send me a connection request and note, letting me know what you listen to and I will accept it. And if there's anyone that you think we should be connected with, tag them in one of my posts, share it. I appreciate you all and let's get started with the show. Hi, Leila. I have to say you look fantastic. I think nobody complimented, but you look great. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so I'll try to keep it very short. I know we're limited with questions, right? Um, so I run a recruitment agency. We mainly recruit marketing and e-com talent. Um, and right now we're at the stage where we want to build a community, um, for two reasons, because we want to attract the right people for our clients, but at the same time also get, um, leads. What kind of agency was it? You said a what agency? Recruitment. Recruitment. Okay. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, so my question is, which marketing efforts would you recommend to prioritize in 2023 for a small business um, like us for service business? How you, yeah. How are you currently getting clients right now? Um, LinkedIn. I have a personal brand that I created. Thanks to you and Alex. C creating similar content works great. Um, so that helps. Um, referrals also. I mean, like I think for every small business, referrals is like Unfortunately, bread and butter for for quite some time. So do you get both clients and the employees that you're recruiting for them from LinkedIn, both? Uh, yes. Mm -hmm. okay, Mainly through LinkedIn and referrals. Okay. And then is it through outbound LinkedIn or is it like they're applying inbound and between the two? Mm, if, if we're talking about uh, talent, uh, we do outbound. Uh, we headhunt, we source them uh, and so on. Uh, if we're talking about leads, it's a mixture because we do a bit of prospecting. Some of them come, you know, uh, is uh, sometimes hard to say if it's referral or or if it's LinkedIn. I th think sometimes it's a mix. Um, so yeah, but mainly it's like LinkedIn and referrals mixed together. Yeah. Okay, and so you don't need help finding more employees for the recruitment. You need help finding more clients. Is that correct? More clients. Yeah. Yes, that's that's probably the main thing. Why we're thinking about, you know, how to build a community, how to um, get more visibility. Um, so I'm, I, you know, I'm just uh, wondering what would be the best approach because I've followed you guys' journey and I've seen how fast you you grew. I think I followed you when it was like in the tens of thousands and then boomed to hundreds. Uh, so yeah, so I'm just curious, you know, like what what is it? Is it more like credibility that you need to build and then use it uh, in the content? Like, what do you think is like this breakthrough, or is there no breakthrough and it's just marketing? You know? Yeah. 
Um, right now, how long have you been making content? Mm, um, videos for probably like six months. Okay. Posts and stuff for probably like three years. Okay. And then when did it really start picking up? I wouldn't say it's like uh, at that peak, like, you know, where I get lots of engagement and stuff. So it's not like extremely, um, how to say, uh, popular. Um, so that's what I'm trying to get to. I would like mm. to get more engagement, more people to see uh, those posts and, and, and so on. So I'm wondering, you know, if it's a content problem or it's because I'm talking about such a niche th thing. And it's not like that interesting to people, you know, because I always say marketing, sales, it's interesting. It's fun. Yeah. Recruitment, no, people, people problems, it's not that fun. Well, you can make it entertaining, you know. Um, I, but, okay, no, here's the thing. Right now, do you know mm -hmm. where your biggest source of client inflow comes from? It sounds like maybe you're not sure. Uh, referrals and LinkedIn. Referrals and LinkedIn. Do you know mm -hmm. one, though? Um, referrals, number one. LinkedIn, okay. number two. Okay. And then how many clients do you have right now? Mm, active, like uh, right now, but when it comes to recruitments, we have like 11, 12 clients and they have like ongoing multiple recruitments with us. Um, but then, you know, that's basically the number of clients we have at any given moment. Okay. Sometimes the number and goes so, up, sometimes it goes a bit down. What's the clientele look like? Like what kind of business owners are you looking for? Uh, E-commerce businesses, marketing agencies. That's Sorry, basically I'm the two niches. Size. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I remember that, but size of marketing and e-commerce agencies. Um, between 10 to 50 people. So we're focusing on small businesses rather than large ones, because, you know, when they have a large company, they usually have internal HR, they have recruiters and so on. So we yeah. try to focus on those small companies where, you know, they don't want to bring in house yet. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, uh, I'm going to go a different uh -huh. route with this than I thought I was going to go, which is most recruiting agencies that I know actually work really well doing outbound, especially when you're a niche recruiting agency. So I was thinking like between the content and the referrals, however, the only way to decide if you want to like, which process would be, you have to find out the lifetime value of a customer who comes through a referral and the lifetime value of one that comes from LinkedIn. And it, uh -huh. if the lifetime value of a customer from LinkedIn is like crazy high, then I'd be like, okay, well, Let's just do more content. That would be the first thing I'd say. I'd be like, what mm -hmm. kind of volume are you putting out right now? Let's try and put out twice the volume and see what happens. That would be the first okay. thing that I would say to try. Now, mm -hmm. if the lifetime value of the customers from LinkedIn was actually not that high, and maybe just in general, like, I don't know what your retention is for, for customers. Mm -hmm. I really like the outbound approach for your kind of business. I've looked at a lot of recruiting agencies and the ones mm -hmm. that scale the fastest and the biggest are really good at outbound, specifically on LinkedIn. So okay. my thought would actually be that you make mm -hmm. the content to build the credibility so that when you reach out to them outbound-wise, they actually respond. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not okay. to attract them. You'll get attraction through the content, yes. That's going to take mm -hmm. you time. You've only been doing it for six months. One, it's like, you know, the reason like our content's take it, well, we behind the scenes, six years, built this thing, sold it, money, money. Like people, like, oh, wow, yeah. that's so impressive. So like there's, that's like why they want to listen to our content versus mm -hmm. if you're building something right now, you don't yet have those mile markers of credibility yet. It's going to take time to stack those up. But I think in the meantime, like, I really think that there's something to the outbound LinkedIn approach. Um, mm -hmm. And the fact that if you have a, a decent sized following with good content that resonates with the best customers that you want, then they will actually answer when you DM them. That is what I would okay. do. 
Okay. So outbound, um, do you have any recommendations of, I don't know, books or like strategies or other companies that could, you know, advise on the outbound? Because we've done a lot of prospecting already. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's tough because we can all probably say we get hundreds of messages a day asking people to buy something. Like they ask us to buy something. So, you know, you don't want to come across as too salesy and you want to get their attention. So do you I have any that- tips on that? Yeah, I think there's two things. One, I mean, there was a really good book that I wouldn't like, it, it might be outdated now. It's called Impossible to Inevitable, talking about outbound. Um, however, it probably is not, it's not going to be direct to LinkedIn. So I would mm-hmm. take that all, just like take the greater concepts, which is like mm-hmm. understanding how to build an outbound machine. The second piece to that is um, in terms of being able to contact the people, the reason mm-hmm. why companies like yours, I think, have a hard time scaling is because like it is niche. Like when it comes to recruiting, like you do best doing niche, but it also means you have to be really good doing finding niche clients. And so what you have to focus in on is just the one method that you can crack of getting them to open the message. So I can tell you, like I had a guy who he was a LinkedIn whiz and it's like, you know, he messaged me a certain amount of times, then got my email, emailed me, double emailed me, sent me a video, you know, like most of the time it's volume. Like eventually mm-hmm. somebody will crack, whether it's on number seven that you've emailed them, number 10, number mm-hmm. 11. And so yeah. it's need to contact. And then it, as soon as they reply, and then it is how much are you going to be able to follow up with that person? Now, mm-hmm. I would say that what will make this easy is like the better your content is, the more valuable it is, they're more likely mm-hmm. to answer. So I would just keep testing that. I would ask mm-hmm. the clients that you have, what's the content that you resonate with the most? What content do you want to see? I'd be putting mm-hmm. that out. I would be working on the outbound funnel, which might mean maybe you need to consult with somebody who's like an outbound specialist, which uh-huh. find those people on LinkedIn. You can just search outbound specialist. Yeah, um, of course. About that. But I would be looking at other recruiting firms that are in different niches that use outbound, which is like literally 90% of them. And I'd be looking mm-hmm. at what they're doing, following them. I'd be subscribing to them. I'd be messaging them, seeing how they interact, getting them to interact with me. And I'd be trying mm-hmm. all of those things. It's going to take you time, but you can figure it out. Okay, amazing. Good. Lots of inspiration. Thank you so much. Have a You're great yeah. have a great one. Bye. Bye. All right, we got Gina. Hey Gina. I think you're muted, by the way. There we go. I thank you. How's it going? It's going well. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to ask questions. Of course. It's fun. So my question was, do you have any advice on how to determine when it's time to make the leap and go all in on an idea? Um Part of me says to stay put because the the economy is about to blow up and I should just keep side hustling. And then there's another part of me that says I should take the leap because great businesses are built during periods of economic turmoil. So and just for background, I have a W-2 and then I'm a subcontractor on the side. Um, yeah. And so I'm trying to launch my own business. And so I can't keep doing both. I'm going to have to pick. So I'm just trying to. Do you make equivalent money from your side hustle that you do from your job? I could if I if I went full time, I could make make it. I can match my W two money or actually exceed it because there's no cap on it. Yeah. Okay. So, what do you think the upside is to keeping your job and not going all in on your side hustle? You know, the safety, the security. Um, I can retire in seven years and get a annuity payment for the rest of my life. Um, or I could go out and earn, you know, 
seven figures, which would also pay me for the rest of my life. Okay. Well, you're sticking on the benefits of, of sticking with the job. So call oh, me. Right? Okay. <laughs> what would be the benefits to going all in on the side hustle? I could be location independent. I could be time independent. Um, I'd own my own time. Uh, I could uh, pour into my business. I'd have more time to pour into my business. Um, okay. Those are all valid. Which do you enjoy more? I think I enjoy my business, the concept of my business, which is to do training and facilitations, right? My side hustles to do investigations. So I think I would enjoy the side hustle plus being able to explore training and coaching. Um, so do you enjoy your business, your, like your side hustle as it stands right now? Or you said the concept? No, I don't enjoy it. It's it's something that I do with extra time that I have to to be able to take trips or invest in the stock market or fund my my business basically. I would be viewing I would be using my side hustle to fund the business. Oh, I see. So you would use your side hustle to build the business. The side hustle is not going to turn into the business. No, no. The business is an evolution from the side hustle is investigations, but the the business part of it is training and coaching on the types of things I would be investigating to prevent. I'm an EEO person, so I do discrimination, harassment, retaliation. So I want to move more to the prevention side and training people and then coaching executives if they need a remediation. What's your support network look like? Oh, you know, I've built it up. So at work, I have a great, I have a great uh, boss. I have a great job. I don't dislike it. It's just it's sucking up all of my brain power because that's, yeah. um, on the side, the side hustle, I'm or on the building the business, I'm in a mastermind, so I have that. Oh, that's good. Yeah, and then I have a group of baby investigators that I've gotten into contracting. Uh, so I told them about it, and they got into it, so I'm kind of mentoring them and training them. Um, so there's a group of people around me um, that are kind of transitioning as well. So, So how much of a risk do you think it actually is to do the side hustle more so that you could quit the job to pursue the business? Um, low, moderate, high? Probably yeah. low. It's, it's not like the, it's not like, it's not like investigations are going to disappear tomorrow, right? Even if the economy gets worse, there'll be more of them. Um, Here's another question. Okay. Which is, if you went all in on the side hustle, which it sounds honestly like, I mean, like a, like a, <laughs> Like you have a lower risk than most people I talk to about this. Um, it, just being real, like you, you do, but it's your appetite for risk is what's most important. Because like if you're going to get in there and then you're freak the fuck out, then like you're not going to be good to build something. So I think you have to know that about yourself. That's the first thing, Gina. Is like if you let go of the job and you go in on the side hustle and that's what you're focused on, are you going to be able to like keep yourself straight when it is going to be scary at first? That's that's the first thing I'd be considering. Mm -hmm. um, and then the second thing that I would think about is really with the side hustle, like it sounds like you have a good support network and all this stuff. Um, you know, maybe you build up the side hustle before you start working on a business so that you get like a little more of a cushion before you start. Like that's a lot of change at once. So it'd be like you were kind of putting in like one step where it's like put the job, side hustle business. I'd be like, put the job, full time side hustle, build up the cash, start the business. Oh, OK. You yeah. Know OK. I didn't think about that. Yeah, because I could just go hard, super hard, like double my income. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that actually might be a good 
stepping stone because what I worry about is the split attention between like, I just quit my job. I'm now going to keep doing my side hustle, but I'm also going to start a bit like, it's just a lot. I would just like give yourself the grace to kind of do those steps. Okay. No rush. And like worst case scenario, what? You get a job again? Yes. You know what I mean? No, I, I think all of the jobs will disappear as soon as I quit mine and I'll no one will ever hire me. <laughs> and I can't guarantee you anything, but you seem fantastic. So I, I find it hard to believe people usually like to hire people that are, you know, pleasant and nice. Oh, thank you. Thank Just you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, think on that, though. It's your appetite for risk. It sounds like you've identified it's low risk. Now it's just a question of the logistics of what would that look like? And maybe just slow down your timeline a little bit to give yourself time to acclimate. Thank you. That's awesome. I'll do that. All right. Have a good one, Gina. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm good to Let's go. Hey, Steve. Hey, how you doing? It's fantastic to meet you. Good. Uh, I've been consuming your content voraciously, so it's it's surreal to actually be talking to you right now. <laughs> That's cool. Well, I appreciate that a lot. Cool. Uh, so my question is, because I, I was in corporate for like 22 years, and just last okay. year I decided to do my own business, start my own business, and I spent the last year and a half uh, discovering the cliche that the riches are in the niches. And so my question to you is, uh, how do you how do you test that your offer is uh or they, you pick the right niche for your offer or your service like what are the kpis or what kind of practical things that you would you do to, uh, to actually figure that out i would say that the that you know the biggest ones are what's your cost of acquisition and what is your you know what does your referral rate look like so if you really like people who hit it out of the park with right you know getting the right product offer pricing in their niche they typically have a very high referral rate now, I don't know if you offer referrals, but that would be something interesting to test. Um, right now, does it? what does it feel like to tell you? I'll ask you a better question. What's the problem that we're solving? What's the problem that's occurring right now that you think that changing that would solve? Changing the niche, you mean? Like, yes, changing the niche if that's potentially what we're looking at doing. So so I guess the, the big thing is I haven't, so I haven't really uh, honed in on a niche over the last year and a half. So I'm, I'm getting ready to do that now. And so I'm just thinking practically, you know, Oh, how do I know that? How do I know that I've actually picked the right one as I'm going forward? Got it. So, what's your business right now? So, I I am in tech operations, so I help you know businesses uh, do things like automation, integration, um, those kinds of things to boost their revenue scale. I think that then for that, when you're thinking of a niche, are you thinking of a type of business or a size of business? So that's the question. <laughs> so I'm thinking size of business, like seven figure, um, or just just cross seven figures. Um, b2b type business that's that's kind of where i'm settled but i i don't know if i if i have a good way to to like i think it's like there's there's the two to three buckets i see which is like size of business which also equates to how many employees right because it's like you're at the point where they're not hiring somebody full-time to do the job because like you know it's it, for many businesses like i know in gym launch we're big enough like i would never hire i would never bring someone like you on because like i have a huge team i need some in-house right but they probably want you so you can get enough set up so that then eventually it can pass off to somebody. Does that sound correct? Yeah, exactly. Yep. So it's like business size, employee size. I think sticking with B2B or B2C makes a lot of sense. And then I think a broad range of like what type of business, like can you set up software? You know, is that is that beyond your scope? Is e-commerce beyond your scope? Is service, you know what I mean? Like 
that's what I would think through. I think the size and the B2B, that feels good as a niche. Like that feels like it could even be the niche in itself. I think the third piece is like industry or even like vertical that you're in. Um, because I don't know enough about tech automation to know if that would be outside. Like, is it different for SaaS versus? Uh, well, I mean, it would be different tools, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So it, it can affect um, the kind of customers that I could work with. Yeah. Right. So then maybe what we start with is you say, this is the revenue. And I mean, like, I would think probably if I, because I look at plenty of businesses and what they need tech, like, it's like, probably when they're hitting that, like, they're at the, like, three to five million mark is when they're like actually have the capacity to think about like, oh, I need to bring tech in. Like that's the lowest of time I see it, um, unless they're software, in which case they're usually a little more techie. Um, so I'd be looking at like minimum three to five. And then it's like, okay, uh, B2B, I think that's good to choose that because I think that a lot of the times um, B2C might have a little bit easier automation. So like B2B is usually a little bit more. And then I'd be looking at, okay, is it gonna be SaaS, e-commerce, service, one of those? And then I would test and then I'd probably test with whichever one you think is more scalable if you want to like eventually hire a team and such. Like if I had to teach others to do this, which niche would I pick, right? Not me as Steve, but like if others had to duplicate this, which one would it be? That's what I would start with. And I would figure out which niche is your bread and butter to get going with. And then you can expand later. But I feel like that's actually pretty spot on to start picking from those three buckets. Yeah, cool. I guess I'm, I'm guess I'm the easy one today. <laughs> I just actually, actually, when we started talking about it, I was like, I, it feels like, because uh, we actually bring in a lot of tech for acquisition.com for the businesses that come in, like the minimum is a million in EBITDA. And around that point is when they really just need, oper they need tech operations. And so we bring somebody in to help with that. So I'm just thinking for you, I'm like, you should just, I know that's usually when they need it. So I'm assuming maybe at that point, they don't quite realize it themselves. That's why I say three to five is the floor. Right. Cool. Very cool. All right. Cool. Thank you. Well, good luck, Steve. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. All right. We've got, what's up, Marcel? Hey, what's going on? Um, first things first, I got to say thank you. And Alex, uh, I joined Gym Launch 2017 to 2018, and it completely changed the way I look at business, how I handle business, how I talk to clients. Um, Unfortunately, your name was familiar, and I was like, yeah. Um, you got, I got to tell her, I tell you everyone about you guys, the books, like it's just has been gold for me. Uh, it's helped me get a lot of clients that I thought I would never get. Um, and obviously using like Russell Bronson's, you know, framework and so I got on here. Um, and also do you want to, want to add a similar question? Um, backstory was I got the gym, grew to two gyms and I don't want to say it to mess up the algorithm by the algorithm God. So 2020, when the world ended, I actually lost everything. They repossessed my car and went into a huge depression, moved across country. In another business, built two portfolios, ended up in a bad partnership, lost that. And now I'm building another brand. Uh, slowly, it's growing. But my question to you was this. How do you all handle um, scaling your business and burning out while the, you know, I don't want to say it, the world is at an end? Scaling your business and burning out while the world feels like it's going to end. Yeah. Why does the world feel like it's going to end? At least for me, I've gone through uh, hell and high water way too many times. So it's gotten to the point where, you know, I usually don't second guess myself. I just do it and say, fuck it. Worst yeah. is going to happen. I'm going to lose money and we'll do it again. Right. And now at this time, this time I have been so reserved that there are days that I even reject clients. I've never done that. 
And it's gotten to the point where, you know, after filing bankruptcy, you just, you're nervous about everything. So how do you deal with something like that? Have you learned from those experiences? Because what you're saying right now sounds like you've learned a lot. Yeah, I've learned a lot. And it sounds like maybe what punishing experiences like that actually do is they cause us to slow down and think more through our decisions. Do you think that that's what you're doing? I think so. I think I'm very reserved. I feel to the point where if I don't click with the client at this point, we're not gonna we're not gonna proceed. Why um, is that bad? I don't know. It's I was never like that. I was like, yeah, hey, man, fuck it, let's get this done, get a you know rock and roll, move on to the next thing. Now I'm just like, let's chill out, man. And like you know what I mean? Because you've seen the consequences of bringing people on who maybe aren't the best fit and that you don't get along with, right? I think so. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like really, like as you're saying, it, I was like, why is this bad? <laughs> like I, I think know. they learned. And I think it maybe it doesn't feel normal to you because it you probably are used to a faster pace. But like, I think a lot of the signs of a matured entrepreneur is learning to be more patient and a little bit more methodical. And I think the way in which negative experiences um, help us is when we have negative emotions or negative associations, they cause us to slow down. Mm. So like, does it feel good? Maybe not. But like, have you learned and are you implementing the learnings? If so, then that's good. Hell yeah. Because it sounds like, dude, you got like beat up. But at the same time, like most people that are in your situation, they get beat up and they would not be on here. They would be doing the same thing again. They'd be selling hot. They'd be like taking whoever. They'd be doing that. You're not. You're literally, you learn from your experience. Like what more, what more could you ask from, from a human on this earth? Cool. Yeah. My other mentor said the same thing. He's like, congratulations. You went bankrupt. I was like, fuck, dude, what? <laughs> like, I think it's just like, I think you're just beating yourself up. Like. I think that that is, you know, I mean, one, business is hard. A lot of them, you know, we make, I say like a lot, there's a lot of easily made net zero decisions where it's like you make one decision and it literally levels out the whole thing. Doesn't matter how many other good decisions you made, that one decision picking our partner destroys the business, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the unfortunate thing is that sometimes we don't learn ahead enough of time to learn what those net decision, net zero decisions are. And so then we continue to make them. It's like we learn one to one business, then we learn one the next, then we learn it's like, but now I think that it has slowed you down enough that you're being methodical and you can get ahead of those decisions and say, okay, let's be methodical in decision-making. There's what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes. And then there's what's going to happen in 10 years if I do this. And I think that somebody get, can think through that frame and say, it needs to have a positive for both, right? Like how can we make it a win-win in the short term and the long term? It sounds like what you were doing is you had short-term wins, sacrificing long-term growth of the company or you know, health of the company. And now it sounds like you're saying, I need to get short and long-term aligned. And I think that that's like, dude, that's just a sign that you've grown. That's awesome. Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Is that it? Uh, yeah, that was, that was my question. Well, I think you're doing great. And I think it's really fucking inspiring that you're on here doing this a third time because most people don't even do it once. Wow. Yeah. I guess that's, that is true. Yeah. You should like be super proud of yourself, dude. Well, man, thanks to you guys. It was uh, a lot of knowledge that was handed out. So I do appreciate your time. Thank you for everything. And uh, just keep on crushing it, you know? Thanks, Marcel. I appreciate it too. Thank you. Bye. Have a good Thursday. All right, guys. I'm like two minutes late to a meeting. I appreciate all of you. Um, let me know in the comments what you think. Uh, what can we do differently next time? Any feedback you have? And I appreciate all the attention from all of you over the last hour. Have a good Thursday.